It's so great to be here with you. Um, I am uh, excited. We have launched into a series called Life's Apps, or Life Apps, and uh, the idea is that there is an app for that. And uh, last week, if you're with us, we kind of launched into just basic principle that we see in scriptures. There's two brothers who really press into this idea that it's important not just that we hear about what God is doing in our lives, but we actually partner and do something with that information. So last week we walked through um, one of the brothers, James, and uh, his, uh, his landing zone was that we can't just hear the word of God and so deceive ourselves. We have to actually do what it says. And the other brother, some of you didn't even realize, was Jesus, who was the brother of James, who at the end of his Sermon on the Mount says, hey, if anyone hears my words and puts them into practice, he is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so we touched on these two extreme ideas that not only is it important that we know the word of God, but it's critical that we actually do it. And so that's kind of the point of this series is this is, there's an app for that. There's things that the word of God walks us into, and it's great if we learn that truth, but it's amazing if we can actually apply it and do it. And so today's application, the app, now I got to tell you, this is a funny story. I had um, a a gentleman in church last week visiting from out of town, a friend of my family, and uh, hadn't been in church for a long time. And I started talking about apps and he was looking for where to download the app that we were talking about. And, uh, And I joked with him and I was like, well, there's a Bible app you can download. And that's where the application that we're talking about is. And uh, so if you don't have the Bible on your phone, it's free. You should get it. Uh, but, uh, but it was kind of funny because he wasn't sure if our church had actually put together an app for each thing that you can press and we'll give you that. And I was like, man, that would be amazing. But we're, <laughs> we didn't do that. But I just thought that was really funny. So, so kind of the, the analogy, though, is that there's an app for that. And how uh, boring would it be if you got into your phone and you clicked on Angry Birds or whatever your favorite candy crush is. And instead of actually playing and doing the application, it was just a long description teaching you what that game would be if you were actually playing it. And that's sometimes what we do when we we get into the word of God and we learn about something, but we don't actually engage, come on now, and do the thing that it calls us to do. So today's application, I'm sure all of you are excited about because you can see it up there a little bit, is the idea, the application of forgiveness. Now, I got to be honest with you. I know that something happens when we start talking about forgiveness. There's some of you fall into different camps here, okay? Some of you are in that percentage of people that when I start talking about forgiveness, you immediately go, dang it, I should have missed today. There's a game, I had an excuse. I would rather hear any other topic than forgiveness. Pastor, you can talk about money for hours and I would sit through that before I wanna hear you talk about forgiveness. You can talk about anything else that would be tense, but please don't talk about forgiveness. I know that you're in the room and I accept that and that's okay. We're gonna deal with that (laughs) today. There's a percentage of you that as soon as I start talking about forgiveness, you start doing something in your inner voice and you don't even realize you're doing it right now. You start trying to forget about somebody because you don't wanna have to think about that individual person where there's a tension and a forgiveness. So you are going into denial right now. You're like shutting off your inside voice and your memory of that person so that you can compartmentalize that and experience the rest of the truth of God's word without having to actually deal with a particular person or incident. I know that's happening. It happens in me, so I'm with you on that. That's called denial. Then (laughs) there's a percentage of you who are actually thinking about someone who you wish would forgive you. And when I start talking about forgiveness, you start, maybe your brain goes to and your heart goes to an area where maybe you did something, you crossed the line, you were the potential catalyst of an incident, and you know there's unforgiveness there. Some of you go there. Then there's what I call the 10 percenters. And uh, here's what I mean by that. This is a hard one, but let's just be real. There's some of you in the room who have experienced something so horrible that to even bring up forgiveness at all, it's like a betrayal because you just don't want to go there. And your experience has been, and I know that's in the room and I'm with you and we're there. So let's all just agree that forgiveness is hard. 
it's a hard thing to get right. It's a hard thing to understand. Um, <laughs> I mentioned last week, kind of humorously, for, forgiveness is like this triple whammy. Because what happens is at first I get offended, whatever that offended thing looks like. So I get hit once. Now I'm angry and I go to the Lord and then I get the second whammy of, I'm supposed to forgive? Now I feel like I got hit twice. Then I still got to go back to that person who did the offending and deal with, it's like a triple whammy. Forgiveness is not fun at all in that sense. You know what's way better than forgiveness? Vengeance. Right? Isn't vengeance just so much more fun than forgiveness? I just love the idea of vengeance. I'm like, I, we, I'm designed for vengeance. Vengeance feels good. I could sit around at night just thinking up creative bad things that could happen to somebody. I mean, like, I don't, why is it that we can get into a place like that? Every great Hollywood movie we watch has a line of like the redemptive quality of vengeance, right? I will find you, right? I will punish you. We're like, yeah, we enjoy that. I was thinking about vengeance and, and forgiveness. And I was remembering when I was in eighth grade, so let's go way back. I'm a baby Christian. I've just kind of fallen in love with Jesus, but I haven't got my stuff together even remotely yet. Some people, they get it right away. I was getting it like in waves, right? My eighth grade mind was awesome. God loves me. That's great. But my behavior doesn't really have to change too much yet, right? I hadn't figured that piece out yet. And uh, some of us, uh, I'm talking about my eighth grade self. You're thinking about your adult self, and it's not the same story, and that's okay. We're there. We're walking through it. So I'm in eighth grade, and I'm riding my bike to football practice, and I've got a stack of pads across my handlebars. Some of you may have, I may have shared this story with you, but I'm riding to football practice, and uh, I look over, and a car's driving by me, and uh, here's a kid in the window of the car, and he's waving, but he's not using his full hand. He's just using one finger to wave at me. All right? You do the math. I was offended. I was also coordinated. So I managed to ride my bike with my football pads on my handlebar with no hands on the handlebar as I waved back with two hands, but only two fingers. <laughs> it happened, okay? I'm not proud of it. What happens next is a little scarier. The car pulls over, right? Now, I got to remember, I'm eighth grade. My brain is not even remotely, like the, the front lobe part hasn't developed at all yet, right? So what goes through my mind is there's no way this guy's mom is going to pull over and let him get into a fight with me. It hadn't even occurred to me that people other than mom drove kids around. It didn't even on my radar that that was a thing that could happen. So when a guy gets out of the front seat, and he's about 6'2", 250, and he's Samoan, and he says, hey, did you flip me off? I said, no, sir, I flipped him off, <laughs> like the, you know, brave person I was. Well, he wasn't the only one that got out of the car. Then another guy gets 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 out of the car. I'm like, this is a clown car? What's going on here? Then another guy gets out of the car, and finally the seventh human gets out of the car. Now I'm one on seven, and there's a circle around this kid, I'm straddling my bike. I got my football pads in, the, in a bag on there, and the fight is on. So in comes a kick. Boom, I get kicked, right? I turn. I throw a punch. Boom, throw the punch. Now, here's the thing. Just note to self. If there's one guy who's Samoan and much larger than you, and he's directly in front of you, never stop looking at that guy for any reason. Because the moment I looked over here, here came the haymaker. Boom! Right into my face. There was like an explosion of light and stars that like, I think birds actually just started tweeting around my head like a cartoon, right? I staggered back off the bike and then people started pulling over because this was, you know, a while ago and people would actually still pull over and help. And uh, people started pulling over. These guys jumped into their car and drove away. Now I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened to me. I hop back on my bike and I ride up to football practice. What I don't realize is I am gushing 
blood from my face now, right? There's like a pool of blood all over my shirt. So I ride up to football practice and I'm showing up and now I'm mad because I think I'm late and I'm gonna have to run, right? And I'm like, this is the worst day ever. Not only did I just get punched in the face, but I'm, <laughs> I'm having the worst day ever. I get up there and of course the football coaches freak out. What happened to you? I'm like, oh, nothing. They're like, you can't practice. I can practice. You know, I'm trying to, trying to be a man, trying to be tough. I haven't seen a mirror yet, that's why. And uh, long story short, the police get involved. You know, there's a report. I have to get stitches. I missed the first game because my eyes like, you know, grown this massive growth on it that's the size of this guy's hand, like a perfect imprint of his hand. Knuckles are just rolling across the side of my face. So I got jumped, all right? Uh, <laughs> it happens. And uh, it was a pretty, uh, pretty exciting moment in my life. And some things happened in that moment. And one is um, I grew in wisdom, <laughs> right? <laughs> sometimes there's pain. There's a whole sermon behind the pain that sometimes brings wisdom, but we're not going there. Let me fast forward. One of my friends in school is a guy named Jimmy. Now, Jimmy was the toughest guy in school. And everybody knows the toughest guy in school when you were in school. You can think about it right now, and you could probably pull up their name. Jimmy was that guy. Jimmy was a lefty, and he wore on his left hand a ring that had a J on it. And there were half a dozen people in school with J's, like indented on different parts of their body, right? Because that's who Jimmy was, right? You mess with one of Jimmy's friends, you mess with Jimmy, you got a J. And you just got like branded with that. Jimmy was the man, right? So Jimmy was my friend, which is why I didn't get in that many fights. And about a month and a half later, I'm, uh, I'm at going through this, you know, I'm healed up basically now. I've been going to church. I missed some football time and actually got my, myself back in church, which was a good thing. And I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm dealing with this frustration. And Jimmy comes to me and he says something that was amazing. He goes, first, first of all, he says, I just want you to know I respect you. I was like, okay. And he goes, because you stood up one on seven and didn't back down. And I was like, well, I don't have any options, but I'll go with that story. <laughs> right? That's a good story. <laughs> right? It's not like I could outrun. I was, in the, I was stuck, right? But I was like, yeah, I didn't back down. And he goes, I just want you to know I figured out who those guys are. And if you want to go get some vengeance, I'll go with you and we'll take those guys out. Now, I don't know how crazy Jimmy is, right? I just know we're friends. I don't know if we're talking about like dragging bodies into the, you know, the, the reservoir or just a fight or like, I don't know where we're going with that. And I have this moment really in my soul where what I want is vengeance. And it felt good. And I was like, oh, this is so great. And then I had this moment where I said, okay, I got to go to church and I'm in church and I'm praying and I'm talking to God and I'm thanking God for the opportunity to get vengeance, right? I'm eighth grade, right? And I'm just like, God, thanks. We find all these guys are. And we're going to get them. And there's this moment where I have to hear from God. And I remember clear as day. He's like, is that your job to get vengeance or is that mine? And I'm like, oh, don't steal this from me, God. <laughs> you don't understand. I got haymakered. God's like, is that your job or is that mine? Who's going to do that part of your life? At eighth grade, I had to surrender vengeance and trust God. A few weeks later, the cops actually talked to me and let me know those guys got arrested. They had jumped somebody else, and they were all getting their just deserves, and they let me know they found out who they were, and the case was whatever it was. But it was hard to let go of the opportunity to get vengeance. Why? Because we like it. It feels good. It triggers something in us that we want. And God, how can you ask me to forgive a stranger who punched me in the face? So what is forgiveness? What is it? Well, if you've been with us for a little while, you know, back in March, we actually did a series, we walked through the parables, and I talked about forgiveness. And uh, we talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. Unmerciful servant. And I'm just going to do a, like, a, like a quick recap of what forgiveness is, and then we're going to walk into how the app of forgiveness actually works, okay? So this is a quick recap. If you're with us in March, you got this. If you missed this, it's on the podcast, and you can go back and check it out. But I just want to recap for you what forgiveness is, okay? Because there's some things that forgiveness is and some things that forgiveness is not. And if we get this confused, it's hard to talk about forgiveness if we don't know what forgiveness actually is, all right? So here's what forgiveness is. I'm going to give you this, and uh, if you want to take a picture with your phone so you have it or take notes, you can do that, um, or you can go back and listen to the podcast from this one. But forgiveness is this. One, it's canceling a debt 
that is owed to you. That's the reason why in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us the debt. It's canceling the debt that's owed to you. When I got punched in the face, come on now, there was a debt that was owed to me. And vengeance says, I get to punch you back. But forgiveness is canceling that debt. You don't owe me anymore. You took something from me. You wronged me, but you don't owe me. I cancel that debt. Second, forgiveness is removing the control that someone has over you. Because when that debt relationship exists, there is now control and manipulation. And you know this. When you're dealing with forgiveness and that person, come on now, you surrender control to them. And saying, I don't live under that control anymore. I've let that go. No one has that control over me. Forgiveness is forsaking revenge. Oh, it hurts. It's saying, it's not my job to get the revenge. It's not my job. I'm not in the revenge business. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. Sometimes you gotta wake up and forgive all over again. Sometimes you're just going through the day and you hit a trigger. Come on, you know that. You're going through the day and you hit a trigger. And there it all comes back in waves. And you got to go again. God, help me to forgive. Help me to let go. Sometimes that person who offended you it isn't sorry. And it continually, like, like just, you, it keeps surfacing. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. This is the one that I don't even like to say out loud because it's hard. But forgiveness is moving from a place where I no longer want revenge. And I genuinely just want God to be in control. And God's best for them. That's a big piece. Let's talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denying that something occurred or covering it up. Forgiveness isn't saying, well, that just didn't happen. Or don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. Come on, we're trained sometimes to believe that that's forgiveness. That certainly is not what forgiveness asks. Forgiveness is not a response to an apology. Sometimes we do this to our kids. I do this to my kids too, and I don't mean to, but it's just easier. Say you're sorry. Give them a hug. Move on, right? We program ourselves at, at a young age that forgiveness is a response to an apology. Well, here's the danger of that. What if that apology never comes? Then I can't, now I can't forgive. You haven't said you're sorry yet. I'm waiting. Here's the nightmare scenario what if that person is gone? Some of us in the room are waiting for an apology from someone who's on the other side of eternity. And we can't forgive them because the forgiveness can't be released in us because we believe it's connected to an apology. It's not a response to an apology. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness isn't, I just, oh, I gotta just not remember it. I need to misremember the events. Yeah, that's not a real thing. And it's unreasonable. And those of you who ask for forgiveness from somebody and then they still remember and then you're mad that they remember, right? Well, I said, I'm sorry. It shouldn't even be in your mind anymore. Come on, you know that's unreasonable. You know that's not true, but somehow it gets in us. And we think forgiveness means you've forgotten about it. You haven't forgotten about it. It's not forgetting. Forgiveness isn't trust. We're going to get into a trust app in a little while here. But it's not trust. Some of you need to forgive someone and call the cops. Sometimes you need to forgive someone and get a restraining order. Sometimes, you, right? I'm just being real. Forgiveness didn't mean I didn't want the police to catch these guys and deal with it. Didn't mean I wanted to go for a drive with them. <laughs> right? Forgiveness isn't reconciliation. You may never reconcile. You may never be able to reconcile, yet you can still forgive. So that's what forgiveness is and is not. That's a snapshot. I know that's heavy, but we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about where forgiveness comes from because I was thinking about this picture of the cross. We sing nothing but the blood, and I was thinking about the origin of forgiveness on display on the cross and really how for, the picture of the cross is a picture of forgiveness. You know, it's funny because we have a view, when we just visualize the cross, 
Because of what we've seen in Hollywood or, or how we've seen paintings and things depicted, we have a picture of the cross that I don't think is really accurate of what the experience of the cross was really like in that Eastern Roman government. The cross was not quite as pretty of a scene as we really believe it to be. One of the things we get wrong is in, in the pictures of the cross we see, usually the cross is like 15, 20 feet in the air, right? It's way up there and you can kind of look for miles around and see this person up kind of in the air and it's like a fixture on the horizon. And there's like a subtle beauty to the silhouette of the cross uh, overseen. And, and, and that's just not what the cross was like. In fact, the cross probably didn't have a top piece like this. It actually was just a cross bar that mounted on a bottom piece like this. It actually probably sat more like five or six feet maybe elevated in the air. And here's the thing, the cross was a normal punishment for criminals of Rome and they wanted it to be up close, visceral and very, very in your face. And you could go almost eyeball to eyeball with someone who was on the cross. And it was a picture of just what it looked like to resist the authority of Rome. And the reason that I'm telling you that is that when the cross entered into our story, there was a kingdom who was trying to demonstrate its authority, but there was a new kingdom who was redeeming. Come on now. And the picture of the cross was a picture that was up close and personal of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and being close and tangible and available. And the price was paid and it was personal and it was intimate. And what did it accomplish? It accomplished this sense of payment has been rendered. Come on now. The debt has been paid for you and for me. And it wasn't a silhouette on a mountain skylight. It was in your face and real. And that's the picture of the cross. And why is that so important? Because it brings us to a depth of understanding of what was done so that what? You and I could be forgiven. That's why that verse that the punishment that belonged to us was laid on him. The consequences of our trespasses and our mistakes were given to him. And it was real and it was tangible and it was life-changing and it was relationship bringing and it was a new kingdom establishing a new authority here on earth. And that's amazing. And that's what the cross was about. It was about getting face to face and that we are forgiven. First Peter 2, 24 says, uh, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Listen to this, by his wounds, you've been healed for you were like sheep going astray. I just, man, God, why does God have to be so accurate with us? Can he give us a little more? Can we be cooler than sheep? I just, I'm sorry, I just, but it's accurate. That's what I was. That's what we are like. We're like sheep. We're just wandering around going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How powerful is that? That's what the cross was about. That's what the cross was about establishing. Why was the cross important? Romans chapter 3. This is the Living Bible. I like the way it says it. It says, yes, all have sinned and all had fallen short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him. And if we trust Jesus, who in his kindness freely takes away our sin. I love that picture. The cross is the reason we received forgiveness. It's the picture of forgiveness. So, and the application of forgiveness, the first step is pretty simple. We have to accept the fact that we've been forgiven. We have to accept that God forgives us. Now listen, that sounds very simple, but that can be really tough. For some of you, that might be the only thing you needed to hear this morning, and you might be a wrap, and that might be good for you, and you could check out on the rest, and it won't affect me, offend me. But maybe, just maybe, you needed to hear that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was for you. 
He paid the price, though he was perfect and not guilty. He was beaten and crucified for you. And we have to accept that. <laughs> the debt that I owe has been covered. Think about how big that knowledge is. The debt that I owe, God created me, breathed life into me, knew every silly, crazy decision I was gonna make, every thought, and in the midst of all of that debt that I was gonna incur, running away from him and running to things that I shouldn't run to, in the midst of all of that, he looked at me and said, not guilty because of what my son has done for you. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's insane love. How does that affect my attitude? How does that affect my outlook on life? When was the last time that I paused, come on now, and just went face to face with the cross and recognized that's for me? That was for me. That is for me. It's for you. It's so that you could know that you know that you know that the price has been paid and you are forgiven. Why is it so hard for us to accept that? Because we don't have that capacity like God does. We naturally, we like to feel like vengeance is part of it. We like to feel that the debt has to be worked off and we can't get our minds around an incredible love that said, no, 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 I paid for you. I paid for you. I paid for you. And I paid for you. <laughs> How powerful is that? To know every one of my swings and misses and still love me. I know all my swings and misses and sometimes I can't tolerate myself. <laughs> Man, we have to accept that God forgives us. Here's the, here's the weight of that acceptance though. If we accept that God forgives us, then Matthew chapter six, verse 14 begins to come into play. It says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Wait a second, this just got more complicated. Here's the truth. Forgiven people also forgive others. We become ambassadors of forgiveness because of the forgiveness that we've accepted. That forgiveness has gotten poured into us. So much of it's in us that it literally has to overflow now out of us. So the second part of application the second piece to make this app go is not just do we have to accept that we're forgiven. We have to recognize that forgiven people forgive others. Ouch. Here's the thing. Do you know why we forgive people? It's not because they deserve it. It's because we got what we didn't deserve. And now we're ambassadors of that forgiveness. We recognize that we got what we didn't deserve. I'm gonna just be harsh for a second and then I'll let the scriptures do the talking, but here's the thing. <laughs> All right, let's process. When we don't wanna forgive someone, what are we really saying about them, about their value, about who they are? I mean, let's just walk it out. I won't make it personal, I'll make it general first, and then you can make it personal and deal with that. When I'm unwilling to forgive someone, I'm literally saying, I don't want them to receive what I got. So what am I saying I want them to receive? Non-unforgiveness? What's the end result of that? I'm saying I would rather, come on now, this is tough, but I would rather them experience an eternity apart from the author and giver of forgiveness than receive forgiveness. When I'm unwilling, on some level, that's what I'm actually saying. I would rather have that happen. Now, does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like his followers? We're ambassadors of that forgiveness. That's why it's so huge when we give it. That's why what happened after the cross was so incredibly culturally changing because they began to get it. They began to love people who were unlovable. They began to wish the best for people who wished the worst on them. They began recklessly to forgive people that had wronged them. And other people saw that and said, something's different about these crazy Christians. 
Something's unique about them. Something has set them apart. They're not like everyone else and how they process the things that happen to them on this earth. And something about that, something about that's different. Can I just ask this question and you can deal with it however you want. When's the last time someone saw the way you process forgiveness and thought something's different about that? When's the last time someone processed the way your family handled forgiveness and said, wow, something that was big because that was commonplace here. That was changing culture in the world. And we've drifted farther and farther away from that biblical mandate to forgive others. And we've shifted it and narrowed it down. And it's become only if, come on now, only if they're sorry, only if they paid the price, only if I feel like they've come to me and made it right. And, and somehow, come on, that has not inspired a world to be attracted to the incredible love of Jesus. Does your family see forgiveness like that come out of you? Do they see it when there's tension in the home? Does your, does your neighbor see forgiveness like that come out of you? Do they see it when there's tension in the neighborhood? In your workplace, does forgiveness like that come out of you? Are people wondering, wow, there's something different. See, forgiven people forgive others. It's part of the application. All right, I'll, I'll ease up on you for a second. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans 12. We're gonna sit there for a little bit. I'll bounce around, but I'm gonna get into Romans 12, uh, about verse 17. Now, some people have called Romans 12 Paul's other love chapter. I really like that picture because we know the love chapter of, of 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right? We know that world. But Paul's other love chapter in, in Romans chapter 12 is just about what love looks like when we actually do it. And so in Romans 12, beginning at verse 17, he starts talking about conflict and how to manage and how this application actually looks. And he's writing to normal human people. So it's not some ethereal, like it should look like this, but you know, we know no one does it. He's saying, this is what it does when you love people. As you're going there, can I just ask you... <laughs> This, this real question, if the God of the universe says that person is forgivable and deserves forgiveness, if the God of the universe says that and we don't believe that, I'm just saying, let me just take you one more step further. Some of you, the person you're having the hardest time forgiving is yourself. I'm just gonna say it. And I'm gonna go back to that same statement. If the God of the universe looks at the person you see in the mirror and says, that person is forgivable. Who are you to say that's not true? Just saying. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If you're a highlighter or you have it on your phone and you're highlighting it, highlight that second evil. It's fun to highlight the word evil in your Bible because you'll have to explain that someday if someone's looking through it. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now, I like this because Paul, come on, my, my, my percentage folks that are like, you don't understand the evil that I'm dealing with when you ask me about forgiveness. I just want to be clear. Paul does not say or minimize what's happened to you. He does not say it's not a big deal. He does not say that whatever happened was something you should get over. He clearly says, whatever the tension is, it's okay to admit and accept that it was evil. That word there, evil, is the word evil. It's not a trick word. It literally is the word evil, bad, harm, uh, wickedness. It's not some uh, uh, wordplay or trick. It's not any way minimizing what actually happened. Do not repay anyone evil for the evil that happened to you. It was evil. It is not denying what was done. It is not saying it's okay. It is not minimizing it. It is dealing with what was done. It is dealing with it. It's saying, don't become the thing that was done to you. 
You are not defined by the thing that happened to you. It does not change your identity. God decides your identity. So don't become evil in order to deal with evil. Because it was evil. He goes on to say, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, you can highlight that. It's pretty good. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice it doesn't say live in relationship with everyone. It doesn't say live in partnership with everyone. It says live at peace with everyone. Peace does not equal partnership, does not equal relationship. It says as far as it is within your control, don't harbor something that causes you to, to amplify, but you may be able to say, hey, I gotta live at peace with you, but we're not gonna be in the same space anymore because you're unsafe and I need a boundary, right? It doesn't say as far as it's possible for you, go be friends with everyone. It says live at peace. Now, I love this language of what depends on you. Can I just, I have this conversation like multiple times a month, uh, some variation of it. And it always starts with, what do I do about so-and-so, right? Someone else is the problem and how do I deal with the problem? Someone else has done something and how do I fix them or how do I solve them or how do I resolve this? And I gotta tell you, always the conversation narrows down to a very simple truth. What are the things that depend on you? What are you responsible for? And here's the really hard truth. We are not responsible for the actions, behaviors, attitudes, and hearts of another human being. Even the ones we're in the closest relationship with, we don't control that. And since we don't control that, we get frustrated, but what happens is we forget there is a part we do control. We control our heart, our attitude, our forgiveness, our love, our boundaries that we put into place. Those are the things that we control. And Paul's really clear. He says, as far as it is possible, as much as it depends on you, do the thing you control. When you stand before God someday, he's not gonna say, well, hey, how come you didn't solve this other person, right? How come you didn't fix them? How come you didn't make them think differently, feel differently, act differently, behave differently? You're not gonna be accountable for that. You know what you are gonna be accountable? How come you didn't love? How come you didn't forgive? Where was the grace? Where was the mercy? Where was the things you were responsible for? Did you pour those things out of your life? Well done, my good and faithful servant. There's a part that you do control and that you are responsible for. Paul says, hey, that's the part that you control. <laughs> I wish I could just control another human sometimes. It'd just make life so much easier. You know what's funny though? God set us up that way from the beginning. He breathed that life into us and released that gift of free will. If God is committed, come on now, to not putting his hands in and just beep, 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 controlling us like robots, then why do we think we should have that authority or that responsibility? I'm just saying. All right, verse 19. Do not, oh, here it is. Take revenge. Seriously. But my friends, Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is, do you see that? Mine to avenge, I will repay, says the who? The Lord. So based on this verse, whose job is it to get vengeance? Uh, you're not convinced. Let's try again. Based on this verse, I'm just saying what the Bible says, whose job is it to get revenge? The Lord. Yeah, you're with me. You woke up there for a second. So, when you get into the revenge business, whose job are you doing? Ooh. Are we supposed to do God's job? I'm just saying. When you get into the revenge business, you say, God, I don't trust you. You don't got this. Let me take this off your hands. God could not have been clearer whose job is revenge. Whose is the avenger? Who does that? 
it's not you. Third part of the application to catch here is we got to learn to let God be the vengeance. We got to let to let God avenge us. We have to learn to do that. We have to let God avenge us. I know that's hard, but it's the truth. It'd be awesome if God, sometimes we think, come on, we talk ourselves into, oh, I see what you did here, God. You gave me the perfect opportunity to get vengeance. It must be that you're moving through me this time to be the vengeance person, right? (laughs) Right? We do that. It must be. Thank you, Lord, for entrusting me with the responsibility that belongs to the kingdom of heaven. But for this moment, there's a perfect opportunity to just blow them up. So it must be your favor towards me to allow me to do that. Get out of here. God says, I will repay, says the Lord. You have to let God avenge you. Now we get to the stuff that I don't like at all even. (laughs) Thanks for this, Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, when I first started reading this, I was like, yeah, this is my jam. Thank you, Lord, for finally giving me some angle to manipulate myself into vengeance mode. Because I read this initially as, hey, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. That'll really stick it to him, right? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Then he'll know who's boss. Oh, you're thirsty? Let me get that for you. Yeah, remember when you were, right? In doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. I'm like, yeah, kick those coals onto his head. Why? Because I'm human and I like thinking that that must be how God wants that to work. Yet I look at that reading of that passage that I've held dear into my heart for years and I go, well, that seems wildly inconsistent with the character of God. That he would encourage us to move through manipulation to bring shame and vengeance into another human. That sure doesn't sound like the God that I know and love. So as I began to read this, I was like, oh, dang it. There's too much of me in here and how I'm reading this. Let me back up. Where does this come from? It's in quotes. It must be from somewhere else. So I did a little research. It's actually out of Proverbs. Let me read the proverb to you. Solomon said this. He was wise. Verse 21 of Proverbs 25. You don't have to go there. I'll put it up there for you. Same thing. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. But Solomon adds a line here. And the Lord will reward you. Interesting. Why did Paul omit that line? We got to back up. Paul's just said, I am your, God is your vengeance. God is your reward. I will be with you. Solomon was concerned that the presence of the Lord would be close by. He didn't have the other side of the cross to reconcile that. Paul said, you don't have to worry about God's reward because his presence in your life and his nearness to you and the fact that he's got this is the reward. So that's pretty important to note. So then you got to say, okay, well, if he took this from Solomon, that's, you know, that's a long ways back. What did Solomon mean heaping burning coals on someone's head? Where's that coming from? So we got to talk for a second about the power of coal because there's a couple of different ways to look at this. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I think all of them are right. I think all of them are right. You could look at it from a couple, three different ways. And I think all of them are right. As long as you understand the heart of God would never be to work through you to instill shame and guilt and punishment like that. If you understand that, then you'll understand the burning coals. The power of coals, number one, it reveals... It reveals things. Coal was, a, was a, a, a source of fire and light and it brought revelation into something. And so here's what happens. If you're being kind to someone and they've wronged you, if you're being loving towards someone and you've wronged you, you know what happens? What's going on in this situation has now been revealed. God says, I'll bring everything that was done in the dark into the light. And so there is a truth aspect here that is clearly the will of God to bring light into the situation that says, you know what, Ryan, you got wronged, but instead of going down that path, you've been kind, you've been loving. And even though I wronged you, the light is now showing on this situation and you're walking in the light trying to bring that light into me. 
it reveals. Now, sometimes that's painful, and that's okay. I think God's okay with that. It reveals. The second thing it does is it restores, right? There is a picture, and this is just true historically. I don't know for sure that this is what Paul was referencing, but I love the picture. Again, I think they're all true. So in a home back in, you remember Solomon wrote this first, back in that culture, they were dependent on coals to light their hearth, to light their fire so that they could have provision, right? So it was not unusual if you were out in the field all day and there was no one home to keep the fire burning, instead of going to your neighbor's house to borrow a bucket of sugar or a cup of sugar, a bucket would be weird, a cup of sugar, you can see how often I go to the neighbor's house, right? Instead of going next door to borrow that, what you might go next door for is some coals to get your fire going so that you have a running start at bringing provision and restoring the light and the fire that's necessary for there to be life in your home. And so they would wear these things on their heads and they would go to their neighbors because it was hot and they had like a system of doing that and they would just dump coals on their heads and then they would walk that home and they'd dump it into their thing. And then you could light their fire. And one of the pictures here that's just beautiful is that when you're treating someone who wronged you with love, with respect, with forgiveness, when you're wishing them good and not evil, you have the potential to relight the fire that's gone out in them. That's amazing. You see, it restores. It restores. The last thing, and I love this picture, it does is it redeems. It redeems. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6? Do you remember when Isaiah gets a picture of heaven and he sees something that's holy and he recognizes his unholiness? Do you remember what his response is in Isaiah chapter six, verse five? He says, woe to me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have now seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It says then one of the seraphs, that's an angel, it flew to me with what? A live coal in its hands, which it had taken with tongs from the altar. And when it touched my mouth, it said, see this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There is a picture, come on now, of bringing the redemptive power of God into someone's life when even though they've wronged you, you make a decision to be an agent of the love of God. You see, when you do that, you heap burning coals into their life. And it's not about humiliating them and destroying them. It's about revealing the truth. Come on, restoring what's gone out and redeeming what's been lost. It's powerful, and I think they're all true. Back to Romans 12, it closes with this truth. It repeats what we started with. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, at the end of the day, you've just got two choices. Evil has entered into your world. You didn't choose for that to happen. So you've got two choices. You either fight back with evil or you fight back with good. You either become what was done to you and you go into that defensive, vengeful mode or you say, God, you are the vengeance. You are my truth. And I'm gonna pour life into this situation where darkness has happened. You overcome evil with good. Here's the problem. If you overcome evil with evil, you let that evil hang around in your life and it remains and it turns to bitterness and it, and it turns to hate and it contaminates everything else. It's why it's so critical, come on now, to just be honest and, and, and deal with things and to get it out because you know the longer you hold it, the more power it has in your life, the more it holds on to you, the grip of that grabs into your life and God says, I didn't design you for that. You have to overcome it with good. It's the only path to get you free. It's the only path. Would you stand with me? We're getting close to closing here. I want to be practical, but then I want us to actually have a chance to do it, okay? So listen, I'm going to just recap for you what this app actually looks like. There's a, a list, five, four things that we just covered. Four things that we just covered, the steps of the forgiveness app, all right? And we could just, let's put all four up there. I, I don't know if they come up one at a time, but I just, listen, 
This is how the app works. This is the application. This is you pressing in and actually doing what the scripture tells us to do. The first thing is you just gotta accept that God forgives you. And for some of you today, if that is the only thing that happens, that is everything. You need to accept that God forgives you. That's the first part of the app. Without that, the rest doesn't matter. The second thing is this. Oh, man. All right. God forgives me. Well, you know what? Forgiven people forgive. They forgive themselves. They forgive others. They become agents of forgiveness. People who are agents of forgiveness trust that God's got the vengeance part down. God is in control of that. God is the equalizer. I don't have to be the equalizer. I don't have to feel like something, how the world is just unjust and I have to eat it. I just trust that God has got this. It's his job, not mine. And we become the kind of people who overcome evil with good. That's what we do. We're agents of that now. So here's what we're gonna do. In just a minute, the band's going to play, and we're going to worship, and we have communion up here. Now, generally, we walk communion around to you, but I thought today we'd just do it a little bit different because I feel like today the Lord is going to do something uh, for some of us that we just need to have a contemplative moment. So I'm going to leave this up here for a little bit, and then can we leave that up there for a minute? And, and I want you to process as the worship begins to happen, and then it'll switch to the words of the worship in just a minute. But I just want you to take an honest moment and kind of look at the forgiveness app. And just ask yourself, where are you today on the scale? Is, is today about taking a look at the cross and saying, I gotta recognize, maybe I've done it before, but it's been a long time since I just went face to face with the reality that that was done for me, that the cross was so I could be forgiven. And I've been acting as if somehow I have to manage this forgiveness thing. And God's like, no, I provided that already. Maybe that's where you're at today. <laughs> Come on. I think a lot of us are at number two. A lot of us are just processing, sure, I'm forgiven, but there's some people that I have to forgive and I haven't been able to do it. And today's just a moment of a step of faith saying, I might not be face to face with that person right now. If they're in the room, whoo, that's another story. But maybe it's just about saying on a heart level, I need to deal with, it. I can't carry this. I need to give it away. I need to trust and forgive. And I understand what forgiveness isn't. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's releasing the debt that's in my life. For some of you, come on, you have stayed up nights thinking about when is my vengeance coming? Does it draw nigh? And it's just about saying, God, I trust you to be the equalizer now. I'm not gonna wait for that to happen. I'm not gonna be watching the news, waiting for them to get hit by a bus or something that makes everything feel right. I just trust that you're the avenger. <laughs> and some of you, come on now, You've been, let's just be honest, you've been battling evil with evil too much, right? You've just been meeting them where they're at. You say, oh yeah, you wanna go that way too, can play at that game. You wanna degenerate to the, to the, you know, we don't talk to each other game, I'll degenerate that. You wanna degenerate to the, you know, we call each other names, then I'll go to that name. What's the game we're playing? You tell me the rules and I'll beat you at your game. And, and you've been trying to overcome evil, come on now, with evil. And today's a decision, I'm gonna start overcoming evil with good. God, we just want to be transparent with you. We need you. <laughs> we need help when it comes to this. If we didn't need help, you wouldn't talk about it so much. Uh, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But help us to apply, not to just learn it, but to actually apply it in our lives. I pray for those wounds that are heavy right now. As we're just mm, wrestling and angry, we just surrender them to you and say, God, we trust you. God, I pray for those that need to just accept true forgiveness. Mm, even now, would you just begin to do it? Just begin to do it. We trust you.